Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. You know, I got a knock on the door at 1.30 in the morning from the police saying that Zach was in a really horrific car accident. Um, They don't know how anyone survived. They've all sustained serious injuries and gone to the hospital and Jeff had to catch me like I my knees gave way I you know I've I've had police turn up on my doorstep a lot while Zach was a teenager because he kept getting in trouble and and uh, but I just knew this was really 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 bad hello again it's Emily here and we've released two episodes this week As a big thrill for all the listeners, Narelle Fraser is behind the microphone for these interviews. Now, these are the last episodes from us for 2022. And on behalf of the ATC team, we want to wish you a safe Christmas and a happy new year. We'll see you in 2023. In 2021, I spoke with Jane Jones about her son, Zach, who'd gone off the rails due to drugs and alcohol abuse, culminating at 21 in him crashing his car whilst drug and alcohol affected. Miraculously, Zach and his four passengers survived, 
but all had varying injuries. Zach was sentenced to just under five years jail, and when I spoke to Jane, Zach was about six months off being paroled. She'd had two Christmases, two Mother's Days, three of her birthdays, and three of Zach's birthdays without him, and she was a broken woman. She'd given him everything, but he'd turned his back on that for a drug and alcohol-fueled lifestyle, wrecking paths and relationships at every turn. She told me what a beautiful young man Zach was and how jail had changed him and how he was intent on making up for the hurt he'd caused her, her partner, friends and family. I'd heard it all before, but for some reason something in Jane's words told me he really was a beautiful, kind soul who really had turned his life around. They're in the last stages of writing a book together about their respective journeys, hoping to publish it when Zach was released on parole. Jane sent me a draft of their chapters and it changed everything in me. It was brutally honest. It was hard-hitting, shocking and heartbreaking in parts, but there was hope and strength in both of their stories. Jane found forgiveness and, to be honest, I don't know how. She did because of how Zach had treated her. But they say the power of a mother's love can never be underestimated. And believe me when I say Jane is testament to that. Fast forward 12 months and I interviewed both Jane again and Zach after his release on parole, delving into how they both circumnavigated the many relationships Zach had damaged and how they formed the relationship Jane always knew was there, buried for a while within Zach. Zach is one of the most genuinely caring, sincere, honest and funny young men I've ever had the pleasure of meeting to the point that Zach, Jane and I now share a special relationship. So today, I thought we'd hear from Jane, not just about Zach's downward spiral, but what the whole experience has taught her because she's changed, as you would expect, and has some honest hard-hitting truths to share with parents about not blaming themselves for their children's behaviours and about the limits that you can give and accept as a parent. Jane's missions and passions are many. She's passionate about parents not enabling their kids, giving them everything, and when it all turns sour, blaming themselves and not the child. She's passionate about changing the way we as a community view a license to drive a vehicle and the punishment of suspending a license, it's not enough. She's passionate about young people taking responsibility for their bad choices and the effect their behaviours have on those who love them. She's passionate about the dangers of parents looking at their kids through rose-coloured glasses. Basically, Jane is very passionate about a lot of things, but she's got the lived experience most of us never want to experience, her only child going to jail, and the shame and judgment that she wasn't expecting about her parenting. The book Jane and Zach wrote while Zach was in jail, Why the Fallen, is literally walking off the shelves. And where their life is now is pretty incredible. It's an amazing story on so many levels, but primarily the unbreakable bond between a mother and her son. So thanks for your time yet again, Jane. It's uh, been quite a whirlwind, hasn't it? It sure has, Narelle. And uh, I keep having to remind 
myself, but especially Zach, just, you know, how far he's come in the 10 months that he's been out of prison. And, you know, I'm just about to do a second print run for the book. And I speak to parents all, all around Australia on a daily basis. And, you know, I feel very privileged to be able to do that, that, that people are reaching out to us and, and that our life story is resonating. It's wonderful. Mm. Yeah, it is, but it hasn't always been wonderful, has it, Jane? Not at all. It's been a, it's no. been a, a, a nightmare. It's been a, yeah. a roller yeah. coaster that I've wanted to get off for a very long time, a, a, like a long, dark tunnel that I never thought I'd see the light at the end of. Mm. Can you tell us about that long, dark tunnel? Yeah, I mean, Zach was a beautiful child. He um, He's my only child and I fell pregnant when I was living in Europe, but I came back to have him here. And then uh, when he was about 10 months old, I got my job back overseas and and he had his first and second birthdays in Europe and came back only because my grandmother was unwell and I wanted her to know her great-grandson. You know, we've travelled the world. He's a great, he was a great little travel partner. He used to be able to balance spoons on his nose and his ears and tourists would come up and take pictures of him and, you know, we, wouldn't, we, we just had a great relationship. I was, I was a single mum for a bit and then, then I got married and my marriage it deteriorated and it took a long time to sort of get out of that situation and it was sort of Zach was trapped in that situation at that sort of really important time from, Mm. you know, sort of 12 to 16. And so Mm. it wasn't easy for him being in that environment and he, being an only child, he wanted to go to boarding school which I, mean, I got him into some of the best in, in the country. And I say some because he kept getting expelled from every school I put him in. Why was he getting expelled, Jane? Well, the first one, he was bullied really, really badly because, you know, he was, you know, he played his guitar and he sang and he was very popular with the girls, which made him unpopular with the boys. And um, he, they, bullied him, they, quest, you know, told him that he was gay and worse words and made Zach really question his sexuality. Not that there's mm. anything wrong with being gay. If Zach was gay, I wouldn't have an issue with it. He just couldn't get away from it and he started self-harming and I think was sort of in the too hard basket. And the second one was he was doing an extra music course at, a, at another school and he got caught selling cigarettes in his school uniform and that was it. He was expelled immediately. And the, the more times this happened, the more hatred he had for school. And, look, in hindsight, Zach, as intelligent as he is, he he's not academic. But every, every child deserves a good education and I was determined that Zach was going to have one. Mm. But here's the issue. I couldn't keep Zach in school. Like when I moved finally moved from my equestrian property to where I am now, I couldn't keep Zach at home. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was asleep, he'd just climb out the window or, in fact, just walk out the door and he could get a bus or a train. And, of course, kids have got phones now. I didn't let Zach have a phone until he was 12. Um, And that was only when he went on the bus to school. But 
they can communicate so easily with each other. And, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and he wasn't there. And then I'd call him and he wouldn't answer. And he didn't show up for school. And it wasn't until the police picked him up that, that I'd that I'd finally find him again. Um, mm. I've driven the streets in Aral. I've checked train stations. I've called friends and, and I'd get him back again and the same pattern would happen and the police wouldn't make him stay at home, wouldn't or couldn't. I mm. couldn't. Um, I mm. couldn't keep him in school. And the problem was by the time I, I realised, Zach was obviously... You know, I found marijuana earlier on, early on, like when he was mm. about 14. Mm. But, you know, my, my hose was getting shorter and shorter in my garden and I'm wondering why the hell I can't water these plants anymore. My hose is mm. shrinking mm. until I found, you know, a soft drink bottle with my hose sticking out of it, like a homemade bong, that I realised that, you know, and, and even I didn't, I didn't actually realise the extent of Zach's addiction and drug use until I read his chapters of the book. He he was so far gone that um, he just hid it so well from me. Do you know what he was trying to escape from, Jane? Like why he was using drugs? Was it just like, because I think a lot of kids start off using drugs as it's a bit cool or, uh, and it's not, I'm just saying that I think that's what kids think, but then they become dependent on it. Well, we've got a massive culture of binge drinking in this country and it made, like, it made me sad. I used to entertain a lot with my ex-husband and Zach associated parties and drinking with, you know, being happy and having fun. Yeah. And I can't feel guilty about that because I didn't binge drink or, get behind the wheel of my car drunk. But, you know, and then, of course, when my marriage was deteriorating and as much as I was trying to get him out of a toxic environment, he kept getting expelled and putting himself right back in it. And mm-hmm. um, it took a while to sell our property and, yeah, he was right in the middle of it. And I'm talking two years. So those were two years that, you know, and then the bullying at school. And then, you know, Zach felt like he didn't fit in, so he sought out, like-minded people where he did fit in, drug users and that that type of thing. Mm. Mm. And so he declined into that world of uh, drug and alcohol abuse, didn't he? Absolutely. The true lovely friends that he had, he alienated them. He had relationships with girls that were really um, toxic and as much as I tried to be a part of his life and stay in it, you know, of course, I became the enemy, as most parents do when kids delve into this world because they change. They're not those beautiful, well-mannered, loving, affectionate kids. They become horrible to their parents. And it, it's heartbreaking when they do that. Tell us about the time that he uh, trashed a unit that you'd provided for him. I, I just, I can't imagine how oh, bereft is probably the wrong word. Like you must have been at your wits end as to what to do. Well, I thought, you know, I felt like my, my head was being crushed by a vice because it was my partner 
who bought that with friends of ours. Um, so mm. it was half owned by us and a girlfriend of mine and her partner, my girlfriend of 32 years, mind you. The thing is, Narol, Zach moved into that. It was a little little house on a on a block of land that we were going to de- develop, and it was an opportunity for him to get a rent, rental record. And a, a New Zealand boy that was over studying was his housemate. Mm. But within days, his girlfriend moved in with him, and it just became a trap house for just a whole lot of drug users and whatever. And he moved in, I think, on the 11th of November, 17, and had his crash, which is, you know, the culmination of everything, that crash put him in prison. That was Mm. on the 9th of December, 2017. And it didn't go to court until May of 19, So in that 18 months between the crash and the hearing date where he was remanded in custody, he spiralled even worse out of control. And when we moved him out of that place, because obviously it was being destroyed, the rent wasn't being paid, so my partner and my friend decided they wouldn't renew the lease. And when we moved Zach out, it honestly, Narelle, it was so disgusting. All of the beautiful things that we'd got in were just just on the nature strip, hard rubbish. It was the oh. windows were smashed. The it, there were holes in the walls. It was it was really sad, and and I almost lost a friendship through through that. It's we're yeah. we're okay now, but for a while we weren't. And I actually thought I would lose my partner because Jeff had just he just had enough and just couldn't believe that Zach mm. could live like that or allow people to do that. Mm. Tell us about the crash and we might explain to people that we use the word crash, we don't use the word accident because it wasn't an accident. It was a a choice that Zach made. 100%. I mean, he deserved to be punished for what he did. Zach knew he shouldn't have, that you don't drink and drive. He'd already lost his licence for demerit points, which... You know, that's a slap on the wrist, you know, what, three months? And mm. that, that would have been for speeding, going through red lights, hooning, maybe using his phone, not wearing a seatbelt, all of these things. Like there needs to be better punishment for that to start off with. And he'd already written off his first car, which I loaned him money for and never got the money back for or the insurance wasn't covered. So mm. he was already showing a pattern of reckless driving. And, um, you know, this particular night he was offered a ticket to go to a comedy show if he drove his two mates there in Richmond. They drank four or five beers. They, they um, The front seat passenger who was trapped for an hour actually stated that Zach was driving recklessly on the way home. And when they got back to his place, which was our, our investment property, there were three girls. Um, his his girlfriend wasn't there, but three of her friends were there. They were already drinking. They were smoking bongs. And the thing is, this this whole thing of drinking, binge drinking, and to 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 write yourself off the face of the planet, not to just have a social drink with friends and enjoy yourself. Mm. You, you know, teenagers and young adults they drink to write themselves off. 
And it got to the point where they were just sculling vodka from a bottle. And when they ran out, they realised they didn't have any more alcohol. And one of his mates said, all night bottle shop. And instinctively, Zach had his keys in his car and he's like, yeah, let's do it. And one of the guys said, no, I'll wait here. Like he had enough sense to not get in the car, but not enough sense to stop his mates from doing something so Mm. stupid. And as Mm. they were backing out of the driveway, the three girls got in. Like Mm. I I so want the laws to change that if you knowingly get into the car with a drunk person Mm. and it doesn't matter that you've been drinking and doing drugs and you're, you know, you might not be thinking straight. You can't get out of the car once you get in. And and Zach will tell you, like, he he, he actually um, bumped into the, a car parked across the street and they all, they all laughed and off they went. Mm. Anyway, look, the alcohol was, was hitting him that he looked down at his friend's phone at Google Maps and had no, no direction, didn't know where he was, couldn't control his speed and he ran through a red light and somehow missed the traffic light and the, you know, the actual um, street lights and went slamming through a, a brick wall into a retirement village car park and the, the car burst into flames. And it was, it looked like a sardine can. Like, honestly, I cannot, I just still to this day, it just horrifies me. And it, it led the, the morning news. And, you know, I got a knock on the door at one thirty in the morning from the police saying that Zach was in a, a really horrific car accident. Um, they don't know how anyone survived. They've all sustained serious inju- injuries and gone to the hospital. And Jeff had to catch me. Like I, my knees gave way. I, you know, I've I've had police turn up on my doorstep a lot while Zach was a teenager because he kept getting in trouble. And and uh, but I just knew this was really, really, really bad. And, um, you know, we we were celebrating because that weekend was sort of one year since we moved back to my house from my partner's place. It was Jeff's birthday the next day and our anniversary the day after that. So um, we ended up catching a taxi to St Vincent's Hospital and, yeah, I, I just seeing my son in that state, it was it was horrendous. And, you know, I think I told you that when I rounded the corner in emergency, there were six police standing outside of a, a curtained cubicle and I, I just, my heart dropped. I almost passed out thinking that one of the passengers had died and Zach was under police guard mm-hmm. and um, he was actually in the next cubicle. But I, I'm just so grateful that they all recovered and they don't have, you know, lifelong injuries. But when you see that crash, you you will not believe that that, that is possible, that, that anyone survived. I must admit I've seen the result of the crash. Yes, I've seen the car. It was on, as you said, it was on the morning news. And you're right, I don't know how an ant could have survived that crash, let alone five people in the car. Yeah. It, it is incredible. And that wasn't, that, that wasn't, you know, his rock bottom unbelievably he basically was told by the police and I was told by the the informant he was going to spend as much time as he needed to make sure that this was heard in the county court in front of a judge 
because he wanted Zach to get as much jail time as possible. That was really hard to hear, Narelle. But mm. I'm grateful. Like, honestly, I'm grateful. I've actually thanked the judge for giving Zach the time that he did mm. because a, another slap on the wrist was not going to work for Zach. So. No, and, and it's not because you hear time and time again about slaps on the wrist and what they do is they get out of court and half the time I've experienced it myself where you see them drive home or you hear about them driving home or they just don't get it. And no, no, he knew he was going to do some jail time so he just hit the drugs even harder. And also he felt incredible guilt for what he'd done. He alienated himself from me and from, you know, his true friends and he just spiralled even worse out of control and he ended up in court, in the county court. He got four years and nine months with a minimum two and a half years non-parole and, yeah, I had to sit there while this was all laid out in front of me. I mean, Zach hadn't told me a lot of things about that day and and, and the crash and everything and, you know, his life because he would have, he had a psychological, obviously, evaluation and, mm-hmm. you know, was read out that I was, well, what a terrible upbringing Zach had had and, you know, drug and alcohol abusive parents and and it was just so sad. I was so angry because anyone that that listened to that would have thought that I was the worst parent in the world and I could say nothing. And I just had to let it all play out and watch my son be taken away in handcuffs, this 60 kilo ring wet six foot two bean pole of a a shell of the beautiful boy that I brought into the world and watch him be taken away. Narelle, I never thought I'd have to get used to the the prison, the justice system or how Mm. that worked or it was just all new to me. And I I can tell you um, it's not something I wish on any parent. It's just, it's awful. Mm. There's a couple of things there, Jane, that I'd like to go back to. I find it hard to understand how, with Zach having the crash, you said that he spiralled worse out of control and I would have thought that that would have been the biggest wake-up call that you could imagine. But what you're saying is he went further into his drug and alcohol abuse instead of it being a wake-up call. That's right, because all that happened between between the crash and county court yes. was nothing. The police were building a case, but there was no support for Zach in, to get into any drug or alcohol programs before then. Mm. Zach was just left to his own devices. This is where the system is so broken. Mm. And the fear of and the guilt, the fear of going to prison, the guilt of what he'd done, the only way he knew how to cope was to drink more and take more drugs. Did he alienate himself more from you after the crash? Yes, because he's and that was all part of, you know, this relationship he had as well. And then 
when he finally came to me and said, Mum, I need help, I need to get out of this relationship, I, and I got this girl out of the house and then she broke back in again and look, basically Zach would try and break up with her and she'd just smash the windows, she'd just she kicked the threw a pot at the oven door and broke that. She, um, and and that's the thing. Young young men can be abused by women as well. It's not mm. just the other way around. And I know it happens the other way around a lot. But mm-hmm. when we did get him out of that place, and he got her to move home to her parents while he fixed it up and moved out and he'd already found somewhere to live, but he didn't tell her because she'd taken over his social media and everything. But when we saw the state of our little place, it was it was so bad. And and also the very next day, Zach abused me and just, and I just, uh, Norella had to walk away. It, I'd had enough. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't fight with him anymore. I couldn't, you know, he was 21 years of age. I'd given him every opportunity and he just kept, kept, literally shredding my heart over and over again and I just had to leave him to his own devices for a while but I I knew the court case must have been coming up and I I'm a little bit of a Sherlock Holmes and so I I dug in a little bit and I and I found out and I managed to um he'd got a new phone number and I I managed to get it and speak to him and so I was there in court that day and you know I have uh since Zach's been in jail I've said this is it Zach this is the last time like Jeff and I'll support you through this and and you know I had this epiphany to write a book and he thought the same thing and I I said to him but when you come out and he has to live with us because he's got parole for two years three months and he can't get his license until he's nearly 29 and he just Mm. turned 26 this year and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I've said to him, Zach, I will dob you into your parole officer. Like if I, if I get a sniff of you going back to that life, I'll drive you back to prison myself. Like I just can't do this anymore. But fortunately, he has turned his life around. Big time. <laughs> Massive. And he's yeah, yeah. very determined to, to, to try and prevent others from ending up where he did or worse still, you know, ten feet under, and and mm-hmm. just the, the the tragic deaths. And I do have survivor's guilt because I don't know why some parents' children have passed away and mine didn't. And I can only believe it's it's our life mission. Just to, I said I said at our book launch, I'm so happy that Zach and I finished what we started with publishing this book. But in reality, we can never finish what we've started now because we've started something that we, we just have to do whatever we can to try and get in front of the kids, get this book in front of the kids before they lose their way. Because once they get addicted to drugs, once they surround themselves with the wrong people, parents have got no control, schools have not got any control, there's no systems in place so we need to scare the bloody crap out of them before they lose their way. And this book does not paint a pretty picture about drug use, the effects of it, binge drinking and, and the spiral that, Zach, that happened with my son. It's, it's, it's harrowing. Uh, it is, and I can vouch for that. And I think anybody that reads the book 
you could not read it and not be affected by it. And I think like you, and I know you're the author of the book, so of course you're going to say it's a it's a powerful book, but I am saying it is probably the most hard-hitting, honest, um, heartbreaking in places book, but I think every parent, not only should every kid read it, but I think every parent should read it because there is such a powerful message for parents of these young people that go off the rails. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you tell us about the pain of visiting Zach in jail? What was that like? It was horrendous. I got drug tested, I got my car checked, there were sniffer dogs. You're treated like a criminal because you're visiting someone that's a criminal in prison. And my son was a criminal. Mm. He was a convicted criminal. Mm. Yeah, it was it was heart-wrenching and and to to sort of sit finally, you know, you go through all of this, you've got to take your shoes off, you've got to, you know, pull your pockets out, you've got to go through a metal detector like you do in at the airport and you finally get to this visiting room and you sort of sit there and it fills up and I, I always arrived really really early so I didn't have to sit with a buzzer in my car for hours on end uh, but that meant that you know I'd get kicked out because there were other people waiting but to see my son walking out there and he was just getting bigger and bigger and, and fisher and fisher so he was looking a lot healthier and obviously not you know, being addicted, mm. you know, he started, his eyes started to be clearer and it was hard because I knew that when I cuddled him and, and kissed him goodbye, he was going to be strip searched mm. every single time. And then I had to drive the, you know, the three hours home and that was always really, really hard and COVID hit and then I couldn't visit at all. And then there was... 15 months and I got to visit him and then we were locked down again in Melbourne and in the end Zach said to me, Mum, I don't want you to come anymore. We, they did sort of these Zoom calls because there was mm. no visitation so they were like a 45-minute FaceTime thing and he decided and, and in a way, Narelle, I was relieved because it that, that sort of six, seven-hour day it was just so heartbreaking for me. It really was. No, I, yeah, I, I can't imagine. You know, there's some things looking back that we've spoken about before where you've said that you're not proud of things that happened. But I look, 
I think it's very understandable. You talked about a time when Zach was so affected one day, drug affected, that he spat in your face and you were so angry that you wrecked his beloved guitar and the guilt that you've felt about that ever since. But that's how angry and out of control Zach's behaviour had affected you because it, it was affecting everything that you did. Do you now forgive yourself for that behaviour? No, God, no. I don't know whether he was drug affected in that moment that he's mm. bat in my face and then walked away calling me every filthy swear word you could oh. ever hear. Mm. I'd found marijuana. I, I went looking because his behaviour had changed and so I went looking and I found it and so I said to him, well, you're not having these privileges anymore. You're coming, going back into your old bedroom. I'm, I can't trust you. And and so he he spat in my face and it was disgusting. And, I, and as I was wiping that off, like I just lost it. And I, I grabbed the only thing that I knew that was important to him and I walked outside and I smashed it to smithereens, his guitar, his beautiful guitar that we'd bought him. And then I sat in my bedroom and when he found it, the sound that came out of that little boy, of that young boy, it just killed me. Like it, 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 the pain, it was, and I felt so guilty that I had not remained calm. And, and, and this is the thing, parents have reached out to me. Like they, I've had parents have to have DNA tests to prove that they're the parents of their, their children that are in drug psychosis. And saddest saddest stories and they do we love them so much and they they push us and push us and that and they often you know threaten oh I'm just going to kill myself and then you know your life will be fine and and I won't be here and and it's a fear that I used to I used to be terrified that Zach would end his own life and um they it kind of keeps you beholden to them and 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 their destructive behavior and there's no help for us parents. Um, in answer to your question, look, I went searching for another similar guitar for Zach, not to, like I wasn't rewarding his bad behaviour. I was kind of apologising for mine because if I'd have kept my cool, he would have still had that guitar. So, and I talk about this in the book, I talk about you know, Zach literally pushing me to my limits and and the things that I'm not proud of as a parent and the mistakes I've made because let's face it, kids don't come with an instruction manual and you cannot sit on their shoulders 24-7. And, like, you know, I was watching, you know, the Today Show this morning and parents are judged. I was judged. And, you know, the, the Queensland Premier basically said, well, parents need to take more responsibility. And in some cases, that may be the case. However, I could not for the life of me keep Zach in school or at home. Mm. And what my son did could have killed four lives and destroyed four families in the wider community and the, the ripple effect of that. But I know that I have done my best. I've tried my best. And and the thing is, parents don't, particularly mothers, Narelle, they, 
we don't want to be judged as bad mums. Like m- being a mum is is like everything. And we carry these babies and we go through a horrendous thing getting them into the world and we nurture them and we don't want to be judged. And everyone judges. And so, so we don't talk about it. You know, we don't talk about it with our families. Quite often a lot of the, the women uh, and grandparents and, and even even men that have contacted me since reading the book, they don't even speak to their own pe- families about their kids going off the rails. It's like a, a big secret. Mm. It's a, a big, big shame. It's a big shameful thing. And, yeah. and, and by me telling my story from a parent's perspective, it whilst your circumstances might not be exactly like mine, the love of your child is yeah. and what you try and do for them and that is really resonating. And I'm humbled by some of the, you know, the reviews I'm getting and just people reaching out to me. Just they just want to be heard. They just want to, mm. they just want to know that they're not the worst parents in the world. Mm. And and I, I do say just please don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, actually, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that judgment that uh, you talk about because the day you sat in the courtroom the judge made some certain observations about your parenting but it wasn't you who did the wrong thing by the law but with your son going to jail you were judged which must have been so hurtful can you tell us about being judged like that and how that feels or felt well it it feels dreadful as I said to you I just yeah if anyone had have been listening to that they would have thought I was the worst parent in the world but one thing's for sure is that having put this out I mean Zach's been brutally honest with his story but so have I and Mm. as I said it's parents that are reaching out to me because they're really the people buying the book at the moment, I mean, we need this book in schools for kids mm-hmm. to read before they go mm-hmm. off the rails. Can I Can I read, I received this um, a couple of weeks ago from a lady who had read the book and whose son obviously has gone off the rails mm-hmm. and it, it just, this is, this one really got to me because, well, perhaps if I read it, then you'll understand. Yeah, please, please go ahead. This lady says, having exhausted all known options to support my troubled teenage son and feeling utterly helpless and hopeless, I purchased Why the Fallen, really looking for some guidance. I hoped that perhaps Zach and Jane's experience might reveal something I had missed. I read it cover to cover in one night relating in so many ways to Jane's enduring love and commitment to her beautiful boy. Page after page confirmed my reality, that despite all the best care and available opportunities, some young people can so quickly lose their way, dot, dot, dot. Zach's incredible honesty and accountability for in bold his choices and actions has restored my hope and validated my belief that my son too has the capability to turn his life around and that this responsibility lies with him, not 
me, dot, dot, dot. Now, when I actually burst into tears when I read that because this beautiful woman, Teresa, who's clearly an educated, lovely woman, and I have spoken to her since receiving this. Oh, really? How lovely. She gets it, and I got her permission to be able to read it. She goes on to say, Zach's account of events is raw and relatable, yet written with genuine insight and wisdom. I don't know him, but as a mother, I feel so incredibly proud of him. Thank you both for touching my heart and restoring my hope for the future. Teresa D. Now, this is one that really resonated with me because parents look at their kids through rose-tinted glasses. We, we believe the best in our kids. We want the best for our kids. We do everything we can to love them, educate them, nurture them. But our kids lie to our faces. And looking at your kids through rose-tinted glasses thinking, this will never happen to me, well, it does. It does happen. It is very, very easy for kids who they have no consequential thinking at 13, 14 years of age. They do not realise the harm and the hurt that their actions have on the people that love them and the wider community in terms of, you know, Mm. killing innocent people behind the wheel of a car. And we are judged as parents because our kids are doing the wrong thing. Well, where are the parents? There's no discipline. There's no boundaries. There was all of that with Zach. He was so beautifully mannered. Mm. He was he educated. I love, love, love my son. And I still do. And yet my son is the perfect example of how easily mm. young people can lose their way. You can't imagine, as you say, that somebody such a lovely soul and and I didn't know, obviously I've only met Zach in the last 12 months, but I look at Zach and I hear him when he rings or something and I, and I know you're telling the truth, obviously, but I cannot imagine such a lovely young man being such pardon me, but an asshole. Yeah, no, just, like, just a horror, an absolute, absolute. Oh, I'm sorry, asshole's a very strong word, but no, he, but he was, was. He was, he was, look, honestly, he was. He was terrible. Shit. He was a shit. He was awful. And he broke my heart time and time yeah, again, crushed yeah, me. Just, yeah. Uh, and, and Zach is living proof you can turn your life around after you fall, but it, I am sure, would be a deterrent to your 13, 14-year-olds that think that, yeah, let's go and buy some synthetic weed, which I didn't even know this was a thing, from mm. from the local sex shop and smoke that. And, I'll, like, Zach talks about um, being able to hear his brain crackle. He talks about foaming at the mouth and developing a split personality that used to mock him in the mirror. This is due to taking synthetic weed. Yep. Zach was, I've seen him on it once and I, 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 that was not my child, Narelle. Like his tongue was hanging out, he was drooling. It was like his tongue was too big to, to go back into his mouth. Mm. He was uh, just um, shuffling past me. It's harrowing. Um, mm. Getting involved with the wrong people, getting bashed up by drug dealers. You know, I've had to put him back together again. He's had his jaw 
completely smashed. He climbed over my back fence once after being gone for six months and he looked like a Picasso painting. It was just horrendous. So, yeah, this is this all of this is in the book. Oh, I don't know how you've done it, Jane. You've, you've spoken about uh, the conclusion that you came to at one point that Zach was going to end his life no matter what and that fear ruled your life for quite a while. But you said that you decided that fear couldn't take over otherwise you'd end up dead yourself. Can you explain to us that time in your life and, and how you managed, like how did you manage to get through all this? Oh, yeah, I lost my way for a while, I can tell you. Um, I've thanked police for saving Zach. You know, he was, um, we haven't even put this in the book, but he was sitting on over East Link on, the, on Canterbury Road over the bridge. He was sitting on the railing and people were calling the police and they came and a policeman said, you know, Zach had a cigarette in his mouth. He was going to jump in front of a car. I mean, can you imagine the poor person that that may have been that person driving along no. and someone drops down and kills himself in front of you? Um, anyway, he offered Zach a, a light for his cigarette and he just grabbed him and pulled him off that railing. And Zach just burst into tears and, you know, thanked him. And But just, you know, again... The, and then off he went on his way. Like Zach should have been put into some type of program or, you know, he yeah. just tried to kill himself. And there was nothing. Like I, I remember um, that night with like with the synthetic drugs, he did not come well. He, he, he was at a mate's place and the father drove him home and I had to leave work. Like I've lost jobs. I've lost three jobs because of having to keep leaving and going to police stations and children's court and everything. And that night, Zach didn't come down well. And I, I, I had to call the police because he was so violent. And, oh. you know, CAT team, I think it's the crisis assessment team, yeah. um, they were called and I think they gave Zach some Valium to calm him down. And I had to work the next day, which was the Sunday. And when I came home, he was already gone. And that was it. He was gone again. And it's just this. This is the thing. It's it's the system is so broken. There is no support for parents. There is only judgment of parents. The only answer is just building more youth just justice centres, building more prisons, and they're full. Like Fulham Correctional Centre, where Zach was for for the majority, they put on another whole massive wing. It's one of the biggest prisons, and they've got a remand centre there now. It's full. This 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 ISEC epidemic, this um, this youth crime. If we don't get to our kids before they lose their way, and I'm sorry if you're a parent thinking that by your child reading our book it's going to put ideas into their heads, well, you're living in cuckoo land because they know it all. They've got access to phones. They've got access to so much information on the internet. They know how to make bongs. They know how to, they, they know it all. I, I honestly feel that this book should be read by parents and their teenagers. It opens up lines of communication and questions yep. can be asked and things can be discussed, whereas they probably aren't discussed. 
and, and important conversations can be had between parents and their teens. I think that's really, really important because when kids shut up the lines of communication with their parents and they just lie, they just lie to their faces. And of course, we love them, so we believe them. It doesn't take long before addiction takes hold and kids get surrounded by bad people. You know, Jane, jail really did save Zach, but the justice system has a lot to uh, get right. They have a few things right, but they've got a lot of work to do. But just in closing, Jane, I was wondering if I could just ask you that Zach is now on the speaking circuit. He's a regular guest on television radio about his story, as you are. It's, It's pretty incredible, isn't it? But you and he are really determined to educate young people in making the right choices. I'm just wondering, how are you coping with this newfound life change? Because it has gone from zero to hero sort of in, what, 10 months since he's been out. Tell us about how you're managing. Well, I mean, look, I I, I just never, never thought our book would be so well received. Like, as I said to you earlier, it's it's really hard to put it out there because you don't want to be judged. Yes, I, I've listened to Zach do many presentations now to young teens and it's never easy to sit through him talking about his crash and his demise and his drug use, but I would do it a million times over if it saves one life. Um, and I think it's going to save many. I think our book will too. And I know from a parent's perspective that, yeah, I am, and, and Teresa's, you know, little thing that I that I read to you, that I am giving, giving hope and I mean, I I can't save their kids. I couldn't even save my own kid. I couldn't stop him going off the rails or ending up in prison. But but I am hoping that by reading this book, it certainly does not paint a pretty picture about where life leads when you take that path. And so, yes, it is a whirlwind and but... As I, as I said, we've started something we can never finish now because we have a moral responsibility to do something. We have lived experience that mm-hmm. if we did nothing, like I just feel that that would be wrong. And it is hard for me, Narelle, I must admit, hearing people's stories um, sometimes, and you know too, having been a policewoman and, and it, it's heartbreaking but I, I really feel like it's my it's my community service, if you like, for still having my son in my life. It's the least I can do if I can just listen to, you know, people's stories, give them a chance to to talk about their situation, give them a bit of hope. Yeah, I, I feel very, very privileged to be able to do that. But but what you're also doing, I think, is you're giving parents, you're sending a message to parents about giving them permission to be kind to themselves and not to blame themselves for their children's behaviour. And I think that is a really, really important message. Look, Jane, in closing, I don't know of anyone 
prouder than you are of your son, even though he's tested just about every part of your being. Your belief in Zach, your love, support and forgiveness is a lesson for us all. Uh, I doubt very much Zach would be where he is today if it wasn't for you. And um, you really are a very special soul inside and out. And thank you for your time today. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime, recorded at a Hub Australia media studio. HubAustralia.com. Find the workspace that's right for you. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.